0: I think it's it's an incredible time for talented people that they don't need necessarily the agents that I glorified entourage. they're going to be less necessary because people are going to show their own talents you know
1: This is the playbook where I give you access each week to the world's greatest athletes and executives about their personal and professional playbook and what has made them champions on and off the field This is the playbook I have a unbelievable guest an entrepreneur in the entertainment space, Doug Allen, everybody knows, director, producer, entourage. It's interesting because everyone has different personality traits uh, to get to the highest level of success. And one of the things that you and I differ in is you're a procrastinator.
0: Oh, you're not, huh? I don't want to be, by the way. I hate it. It's it's, it's destroyed a large portion of my life, you know, so it's not (laughs) a good thing, but it is, you know, I talked to a lot of people about this, like after watching the last dance, it's, it's not, you know, it's not just that Michael was the best athlete. He also had the best mentality and you need both to do both. I'm actually, you know, I have Michael's mentality in sports. I don't have his athletic ability, but in what I'm good at, I'm kind of a little lackadaisical. So it's, it's not it's not a good thing.
1: That's so interesting, right? Because like I attribute a lot of my success that I took all the things, I don't have much talent in sports either, but I played college football off of this drive, right? Like Kobe Kobe had, a, LeBron has extreme discipline, like he's the first one in the gym still. Um, But it's interesting that you have it in sports and then with, you know, what you're really quantumly good at, you know, writing, producing, directing, you're a procrastinator.
0: Oh, it's a tragedy. I mean, you know, listen, they always say the best advice is like, find what you love. And if that's what you're good at, you're blessed, you know. And, uh, you know, what I love is playing sports. And that, unfortunately, was never going to get me anywhere. So, you know, I, I, I did what I had to do. And, you know, I, I was always ADD. Um, and, you know, it, it makes it a challenging thing to do this business. This business is very self-starting. That being said, I worked my ass off for 15 years, 24 hours a day. And, you know, as anyone with ADD knows, when you have deadlines, you're better off than if someone says, oh, just hand it in whenever. So when you're making a TV show, you don't have a lot of time to procrastinate or you're fired. So um, I, I'm able to do it when the whip is on. So.
1: Did the money make a difference, you know, as the dollars got bigger and bigger and the projects got bigger and bigger? No,
0: and you, no. It
1: didn't make no. a difference at all. Just yeah, the deadline helped.
0: No. No. Yeah, there were, ma- there were many times where I was doing the show. And, and listen, the show was an amazing experience. And being on a set is very different than writing in your house by yourself. That's probably not my, my thing. I started out doing stand-up, and at one point I thought I wanted to be an actor. So in your house alone as a writer is a very different discipline than directing a movie or any of that stuff. But there were times during the show, which, again, as I said, was the greatest experience of my life, where I was like, I, I don't care how much they pay me. I can't, I can't do this every day like this because it's a grind, you know? And... Um, you know, that's the interesting thing when you make a TV show or a movie, people on bad TV shows and bad movies are working their ass off. It's a, it's a really hard process. There's a lot of, of personalities to manage and a lot of things to go on. But that being said, I don't want to make it like I'm a lazy guy because I'm not. I've, I've worked a lot. But fear motivated me for a long time when I had no money. And I used to wake up every day. I still do, Sam. I still wake up every day thinking I'm going broke. And I think that's sort of what drives
1: me. So, That's amazing. And I talk about the difference between motivation and inspiration. And, you know, that is a motivating factor, but it will wear you out as far as living an inspired life, helping you with all the other relationships in your life, people that are motivated by fear. It's difficult to have all the pieces in place because it will drain you. And you have to get up for the next day and the next day and the next day.
0: Well, I've been divorced twice. So probably, you know, (laughs) I'm a handful to deal with. So, I mean, I understand (laughs) that. I'm getting more aware of it as I get older. But
1: See, as we become friends, I'll give you my best uh, advice. Because I married my dream girl because I always tell them I found a really gorgeous girl that's blind and deaf. And so like, she's perfect, right? I can't annoy her at all, right?
0: No, that's the right move. I have never said when I talk about, like, my divorces, I've never blamed them. I'm like, I, I understand. It was all me. I get it. You know?
1: right.
0: And so I'm, I'm self-aware, at least, you
1: know? Yeah, I know. I've, I almost was there, and I became very self-aware and very scared because I kicked my coverage. And, uh, but you like me too, you leverage your real life experiences into your success. I'm a lessons and stories person. I I tell them on stages. I write them in books. Uh, You know, my TV show stuff is all entrepreneurial. Right. And it's still, I think, I I mean, talk about patience, man. If you could work on a TV or a movie set, I thought I had patience. Joe would not sit on. I, I am. And I don't have AD as bad as you, but I wanted to kill myself like by the third day of shooting.
0: Honestly, even even the most focused people, you know, if you're not doing the jobs of working all the time, I mean, actor's life on a set is a lot of sitting around and, you know, uh, during whatever sets I've had, I've had all my friends and come over and, and stars, athletes who want to come to the set. And after 10 minutes, they're like, this this is what you do all day? Why does it take so long to do this and do that? And it's it's a very different process than a play, you know, so... Um, and I do, I get bored easily, you know. I, I start, as I said, I started as a stand-up, which Brian Sher, who's a mutual friend of ours, used to come and film me do it 20 years ago. But I couldn't say the same thing over and over every day. I was so bored. And when I look at theater actors who can do this stuff, I'm, I'm blown away by it, because they have to, you know, Broadway actors are doing it six days a week with the same material and the same emotions or, or whatever they bring to it each day. It's very challenging, you know.
1: Well, I think I got to get together with Brian, and we're going to produce a new show. You're going to be like the male version of Miss Maisel, and we'll take the old footage and rip it in there. And I that'd think it's be great, be an extraordinary show having you all around. Either that, or you and I can do the Jewish AF. I think that's another possibility. I'm in
0: for either, <laughs> so both sound great.
1: I think the market would be great, but uh, personal experiences, though, you know, it's, I found it interesting. You know, the research you do is to watch people, and yeah. you, you kind of amalgamate. I do this with my own, like your, your own real life. I know you've used your ex-wife uh, in some of the characters, your son, you know, different experiences that you have in order to effectuate, I think, believability in um, yep. an emotional connection. How do you know, though? I mean, there's so much out there. Do you like just get a feeling like this is the, the character that I want to develop or this is the story I want to develop?
0: You know what? Every time and I'm working on a couple of new shows now, every time I do it, it really is. It's like starting over. It's like I don't even know what I'm doing. So um, it's it's a challenging, wild process. And I honestly, you know, I, I literally like I, I have this thing, Save the Cat, which is a screenwriting manual. I look at it and there are other books when I'm writing a pilot that I look at. There are books that I read that that have me in them that I start reading like I'm reading to write a pile they're like so in Entourage, they did this I'm like yeah I guess I did do that so <laughs> it's, a, it's a it's an interesting process and you you do it is a skill the more you do it the more you hone it the better you get but as you know as you know what you don't seem to have this but I'm a self-hating Jew so I write stuff and I fucking hate it. It's like, you know, it's one of the biggest problems I have. I sit down and I write. I'm like, I hate it. And a lot of times I stop and then I look back on it, you know, which is interesting. Even looking back at Entourage now because I'm doing a, I'm doing a podcast with Kevin Dillon and Kevin Connolly right now that we just started. But I'm looking back at the show I haven't watched in five years. And to watch it as just a guy as if I'm not even involved, it's pretty interesting in process because I used to watch it. And see everything that I had a problem with, which most people would never notice. So, you know, it's a tortured existence there, to be honest with you. It was a little bit. So,
1: I, lo- I love that you're self loathing because it was <laughs> like, I was, I think, super loving of myself because I had this mom that was more the typical Jewish mom. I could walk on water myself. And uh, so right. I had this false sense of uh, greatness about me that when I went tumbling down, all of a sudden I was like, whoa, humility is ugly.
0: Yeah, you know what? I mean, I think for any parents out there, and I have two kids, and I try my best because it is important to build them up. And I had great parents, but they were critical. So, you know, and I had a brother who was, like, off the charts genius, went to Harvard Law, top of his class at everything. And I was always – again, ADD didn't exist back then, so I was just fucking lazy. And I heard it every day of my life. You know, you're lazy, you're this, you're that. So it does uh, take its toll.
1: Yeah, but eventually they applaud you. That's the best part. My favorite part. I have the siblings the same way. You know, Harvard, Penn, Columbia. Right. Yeah, call them parents' wet dreams. You know, your typical good Jewish kids, and they're we're out. the Harvard
0: of the South, Tulane. We were the Harvard. Yeah, of the we South.
1: did. <laughs> I'll, I'll, uh, I'll 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 support that, and uh, I tell <laughs> I tell people when I you know I'm blessed to speak at a lot of schools. I'm sure you get asked as well for. the what were special our specialties but i yeah. love going to the ivy league schools because especially stanford and harvard because i love getting on stage and saying you know what you guys rejected me twice <laughs> for undergrad and for law school and now you're paying me to speak right this, pretty this pretty is nice. justice. and i said and i'll add this to harvard just to because i have a chip on my shoulder especially with my brother graduates summa cum laude i always say look man harvard could give me a full scholarship today today to go to law school there i'd still pay to go to tulane that's how great tulane is
0: well by the way i i would too and but two things for me i'd never get into tulane today it's, <laughs> it's really harder than when i was there and if you're talking ivy league that wasn't even I, they wouldn't have even let me visit ivy league schools when i was applying to colleges so but i did i spoke at georgetown once and i remember just walking through it like i mean like this place would never have me but uh you know you're i think you did a little better in school than i did
1: Ah, Jewish guilt killed me. Um, Speaking of kind of as we get older in our profession and, you know, we get these little gems in our crown of success along the way. And one of the weirdest things, I just got off an Instagram live with, you know, a younger entrepreneur. And she said, yeah, you know, when I was 19 years old, I thought to myself, if I ever could get to meet David Meltzer, it would be, you know, and I'm sitting there going, where's David Meltzer? Like, who the heck? Like, That's why weird. would, and like you're in, because you're in these books you don't even know you're in, yeah. you forget you do stuff. And then these kids, they're reading about this facade of a perfect life and a perfect profession. And I really want to drive home, because I think you're so illuminating about it. Even the greatest jobs in the world, the one that we've had and experienced, you know, there's a huge percentage of it that sucks. Yeah. And I think what makes us successful at it is we're the type of people that can learn to love that percentage that other people just won't put up with.
0: Yeah. You I mean, know? well, I think, you know, in, in, in this business, it's persistence. And the best guys in the world, which I don't include myself even close to, but the best guys in the world have experienced tremendous amounts of rejection. And you get it over and over and over in this business. And you have to find a way to not take it personally. But speaking about what you said before, the amount of messages I get on Instagram of people who said, which is interesting entrepreneurial wise, that they got into their business because Entourage inspired them. Or they moved to LA because Entourage inspired them. Kids from India and from all over the world. And that's like the greatest thing in the world, you know, to hear that and obviously you set out to make something that hopefully gets people going in whatever way that is. And when you hear that, especially a decade later, it's really satisfying, you know?
1: Yeah, I think it's really cool because there are a few things in Entourage that changed the entrepreneur's brand to one of a superhero, right? It became super cool, and Entourage is one of the main reasons. Shark Tank is one, obviously, but you know, when Mark Cuban gets on Shark Tank, uh, it becomes super cool to be a venture capitalist and entrepreneur.
0: Very and cool. We had, we had Cuban on first though. So we got him on Entourage first. So Yeah.
1: And, and, and what you did within the product placement side of blending in brands and storylines as an entrepreneur and all those entrepreneurial storylines, not only within the brands, but within the business of entertainment. Yeah. right and we in agentry and all of that it romanticized and elevated and you know so funny because i'm in both of these two professions that got elevated by movies and tv you know jerry Maguire was done off of lee steinberg i became right. ceo of lee steinberg so everyone right. thought sports agentry was the coolest thing well meanwhile that was a love that movie's a love story yeah. but everybody wants to be a sports agent and then entourage makes entrepreneurship being super cool and, you know, I kind of blended my sports career as they did in the show, blended their entertainment career into the entrepreneurial side, investment side and, and such. Where do you see now uh, the film industry? You know, we talked about this a little bit off, off camera earlier, but, you know, I see a whole bunch of content being created in a different way with equipment that is unbelievable that you can hold in your hand. Um, yeah. Do you see in the next two years a lot of these new, unique, of at-home projects doing really well and actually even maybe even being a blockbuster someone figuring that out
0: yeah i mean i don't blockbuster is a different story because they need that distribution but the amount of people who can show off their talents now that could not do that even five years ago it's pretty incredible and we spoke earlier about the first short film i made which was twelve thousand dollars i shot in one room and edited in my apartment $12,000 when I was 21 years old and in 1990 was a ton. I could do the same movie now for $300, the exact same thing. And that short film led to everything I've done in my career. Um, So I think, and even honestly, looking at these kids on TikTok, looking at a Justin Bieber situation or whatever it is, you know, it's opened up a world that, you know, we've seen this happen in different things. Basketball, where they started going around the world and all of a sudden they find Chinese people who are as good as, us and, and wherever else they're looking so i think it's it's an incredible time for talented people that they don't need necessarily the agents that I glorified in an entourage they're gonna be less necessary because people are gonna show their own talents you know
1: yeah it's fun my I have an 85 year old uncle his name's Larry Lindbergh he's in the sports hall of fame for creating uh, surfing he did the first, he's director of the first super bowl see old CBS guy right, right, he right. Ended, and he called me the other day and he said, Man, who did that video? Now you're talking about an Instagram swipe up video to come to my free training. Right. And it's a kid who moved out from Virginia. And he starts telling me, Dave, this guy is incredibly talented. He, and he starts telling me a story about another kid that he met in Brazil that ended up doing huge movies. Because, but you, I'm going to send you the, the video that he did. Right. Yeah, I'd love to see, but he is, I, I know he's going to end up leaving me someday because he's so talented. He doesn't need yeah. to swipe up videos for Dave Meltzer. Uh, <laughs> he can do the Dave Meltzer documentary right. or the, he could do Jewish AF for us.
0: <laughs> like that. Well, you know, that, that's, it's an incredible thing. And there is just ways to showcase your talents now that just didn't exist. So, and while this, even while this pandemic is going on, I mean, I see stuff online and I'm absolutely blown away that people are going and doing, you know, so it's great.
1: That last question, because you're an anomaly. You have all this great, conflictual, complex, you know, like a typical two-lane guy. We're screwed up in our beautiful different ways that make us unique. But one of the things that you are that's so interesting, a procrastinator that's like super persistent.
0: Yeah. More, <laughs> right? more, I was more when I was younger, but yeah. But yeah, and, you know what? Because I, I, I'm also very defensive, and I don't, I, I don't like to lose. I'm very competitive, So that comes in, Um, but as I said, procrastination is a terrible thing, but I I do think it's something you're born with and it's something that you gotta work to overcome, which I did for a long time. I mean, I'm getting old now, so I get to procrastinate a little more, but um, it's an important thing, especially in this business and entrepreneurial, you have to get your focus early and get it rolling. And you were talking about Shark Tank, which I watch with my kids all the time you know, you see how they talk to them. And I love, I really do love that show. I think it's such a great learning experience for, for people, but they, when they don't have someone who's focused on what they're doing and just seems to be all over the place, it really costs them. And that was my, I wrote this Ari Gold book as Ari Gold. And it, the first story I told was a real story because the only connection I had in Hollywood, my fra my father got me into this meeting and the guy he treated me like a fucking asshole. But yes. I sat there, I literally sat there for three hours waiting for him. And when he walked in, as you see how I am, I'm just pretty much who I am. I'm honest. And I, he said, so what do you want to do? And I was like, you know what, I'm not really sure yet. And he said, well, and he was pissed. Like, well, why don't you come back when you are sure? And I learned from that day, you walk into meetings, you understand who you're talking to, and you make sure you Tell them that you are interested in something that they may be able to help you with. Otherwise, you're wasting everybody's time,
1: you know? It's so true. I just did a pitch competition yesterday, two actually, and about 80% And in the most, on Elevator Pitch, the show that I have for entrepreneurs, it always amazes me because you got six seasons that you can go back and watch what a good pitch is, right? Right. And 80% of the people don't ask. Like 80% won't make the ask. And, I, and we sit there as judges going, so what do they want? Right. right. you've taken the time to fly out, come to the studio, go ahead and audition and then go ahead and get on the show. And you get in the elevator for 60 seconds and don't ask. I think that's exactly the difference in why people are successful or not. And even today, I love the chip on your shoulder, which creates that persistent that, you know what? I am not going to stop until I get what, what I want. And you know, I don't care what other people think.
0: Yeah. I mean, you have to be that way in this, you know, you just have to be, and you can, you know, not to keep harping on shark tank, but you see it on on them you know there 's products that actually went on to success when they passed on them I and those are the people that that took that public beat down and that you know thing and then went on still to do it so and and i 've been there i've i've had the nose over and over I still have them to this day constantly so
1: yeah, me too and God bless us for uh, hanging in there, and I really appreciate you coming on, Doug. I can't wait to meet you in person. We're going to develop something together, right. uh, something really screwed up and messed up that everybody's going to like. That's my like prediction. It. We'll get Brian. We'll get Brian in there to help us.
0: I like it. Roll wave. Roll wave. All
1: right, the great, incredible Doug Allen. Thank you so much for joining me. This is Dave Meltzer.